I'm going to move very quickly here. We are in the book of Acts. Interestingly enough, I was assigned in a strange way to cover five chapters today. After I realized what we had in store for today, I chose to preach one chapter and get off of, uh, throw schedule a little bit, but that's all right. Who cares about schedule? Uh, We're going to just deal with Acts chapter 19, so if you would turn with me to Acts chapter 19, and we're going to dive into this very quickly. I just want to look at a few things here today. Acts chapter 19. Now, the uh, book of Acts, written by Luke, is a continuation of the book of Luke in a lot of ways. It's it's after Jesus uh, has ascended to heaven. The Holy Spirit is sent uh, at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. He empowers the believers, the apostles, the disciples, believers, to continue the mission that Jesus had set forth. And that mission is to declare the gospel, the good news. But as I dove in a little bit deeper, especially for some reason in 19, it became very clear to me, it's not just about declaring the gospel. It's not just about knowing the gospel. It's not just talking about the gospel. It's about living. Everybody say living. Living the gospel. And that's where we're going to touch in just for a few moments here. Now, what I want to look at really quick here is, uh, is, is Megan shared last week over several chapters, and she ended up in Acts chapter 18 where she was talking about uh, a, a gentleman named Apollos, who we hear several times throughout Scripture. Paul refers to him. But Apollos had been in Ephesus, and he was a man that really desired the things of God, and he knew Scripture, what we would consider the Old Testament of the time, and what he knew was that the Old Testament was constantly pointing to a Messiah, and he even began and grasped a hold of that that Messiah came in the personage of Jesus. That's who the Messiah was. But we find out, though, here, if you step back just a hair in Acts chapter 18, it says, uh, he began, and I'm sorry, verse 26 of chapter 18, he began to speak boldly in in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. There was something that Apollos had not gotten. And we find out that Apollos had understood what a baptism of repentance that John the Baptist had preached. Repentance, but what he was evidently not preaching was what you're, you're to repent to. How many people repent all the time? God forgive me, God forgive me, God forgive me. Come on. Hello. Who repents all the time? But how many people, when you repent, you repent to something? You say, what are you talking about? We can repent of things, but we must repent of something and then repent to something. Well, what do we repent to? Well, we repent to The fact that God has made a way when there seemingly is no way. His name is Jesus. We repent to the truth. We repent to the heavenlies. We get our eyes back on things above. How many have said, God, forgive me, and your eyes are down because you're feeling so low? How many of us, when we say, God, forgive me, have head held high? And yet, what does it tell us to do? Keep our eyes on things what? Above. 
Oftentimes we repent in order to rid ourselves of the guilt. But that's not the gospel. The gospel, Jesus did not come to get rid of your guilt so you feel better. He came to wash you whiter than snow and do something you couldn't do. And that's transform your life. Queenie, could you play real quick the definition of the gospel? You can unmute that make sure we get that clear. The gospel is that there is this infinite, almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful creator God that created all things for his glory. And you and I have belittled that, belittled his name, belittled his glory. Every one of us have at one time or another, or actually currently, believed that our way is better than God's. We fail to acknowledge, give him glory for the gifts he's in his authority, while at the same time doing that with the brain he gave us and holds together, and the lungs and the air that he gave us to breathe with. This is the great blasphemy of the universe. So we've all belittled God, and God being just right and holy is not going to allow the belittlement of his name. God then, not being able to spare wrath, sends Christ in the flesh and crushes him. And in so doing, pours out his wrath against the children of God onto the Son, killing him. Then God raises him from the dead. And that same power that raised Christ from the dead is now at work in those who believe. This is the gospel. That you and I have right standing before God, not by our efforts, not by our works, not by our skill, not by whether or not we cuss or don't cuss, drink or don't drink, watch this, don't watch this, do this, don't do that, justified before God by the cross of Christ alone. Your lust, you're not going to be able to fix it. Your bitterness, you're not going to be able to fix it. Your rage, anger, those deviances that have been following you around. You don't possess the power of life and death. You can't resurrect anything. Christ came. That's the good news. That's why we don't celebrate us. That's why we continually celebrate Him. We boast on the cross and the cross of all the same power that's at work in raising Christ from the dead, that work in me, work in all who believe. This is the gospel. There is nothing we can do, but He's done it all. I don't think I can say it, get that emphasized anymore. You cannot change you, but Jesus can. You say, why do we, why do we find ourselves struggling so many times? Because our eyes are on us, not Him. Why do I keep failing? Because nine times out of ten, it was your attempts to not fail that failed. Jesus never fails. He came to set you free. He came that you might have life. He didn't come to tell you that you can bring life to yourself. He didn't come to tell you that you can transform yourself. The best we can do is conform, and that looks pretty putrid. We can only be transformed. The only way to heaven is to be transformed, folks. The only way to be used here on earth by Jesus Christ is to be transformed. And guess what? You can't do it. But praise be to God, He can. Amen? 
So see, Apollos in chapter 19, verse 1, was at Corinth, and Paul took the road then to the interior, and he showed up at Ephesus where Apollos had been teaching. But immediately he finds out that some of those who have been listening to Apollos teaching, which was not bad, but they were missing something. Something was not right. And he even asked, have you, had, have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Because obviously he could see that. Something was wrong. And they're like, who's this Holy Spirit? Who are we talking about here? See, what had happened was Apollos had been teaching, but he'd been teaching repentance of, but he himself probably did not fully know repentance too. So they'd been asking God's forgiveness, but they didn't know who to run to then. He'd been preaching about Jesus, so they knew about Jesus, but there's a good chance they had not fully grabbed hold of and allowed Christ into themselves and in relationship. And it says, he shared that, and they immediately believed, and he laid his hands on them, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they prophesied and spoke in tongues. It must have been pretty cool. It was 12 of them. Isn't it amazing? These were people who were pumped and ready to do whatever God wanted them to. So it wasn't a bad thing. Paul just came along and said, hey, I need to fill you in. Jesus is your only way and he never fails. And he wants to transform you by filling you with the Spirit. And they said, we believe. And he lays hands. Boom. Done. See, the gospel. Everybody say gospel. The gospel comes from God. How many know that? The gospel comes from God. It is the power of God for salvation. You are only saved if you take hold of the gospel of truth. I love this. According to Ephesians, the gospel is a mystery. Everybody say mystery. Anybody like a good mystery? That's the gospel for you. Say a mystery, yeah. Uh, I want you to, without spiritual eyes, imagine a virgin giving birth in a, in a barn, in a cave... In a manger, the man gives his whole life to me. You know, those those last three years of ministry just pours in. Then he decides he's going to die for you, even though you've treated him terrible. Then he's going to make a way not only for the Jews that he was a part of, but his death and resurrection is also going to open it up for the Gentiles, all the non-Jews, to come to know the Lord. How does all this work? We use that little cliche, God moves in what? Mysterious ways. Folks, we don't have a clue. Because the moment we try to figure out God, we've done put him in a tiny little box. God is totally into personal relationship through Jesus Christ, but he is also the most, the, the, the greatest awe-inspiring mystery there is. If he wasn't, there wouldn't be a need for faith. Because I don't know how God works every time. Does anybody else you want to explain it? Here's the mic. I don't get it. And yet there are people here today that should not be saved because you were jerks. Let's raise our hands. Notice one pointed this way, three pointed back. I have failed time and time again. Praise be to God. He still said, by my grace, you will be saved. It's interesting, just jumping ahead quickly in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, just Paul makes a, a, a statement about the gospel being the gospel of the grace of God. Really, he interchanges, uh, interchangeably uses gospel and grace. What is the gospel? It's good news. Good news about what? You, don't, you didn't deserve a thing, and yet God said, yeah, I'm going to give it to him. 
The only thing you deserve was hell, but yeah, I'm going to give it to him. So Apollos had preached repentance about Jesus, but was taught, he ended up being taught more clearly by Priscilla and Aquila. And obviously there was something missing. They didn't understand, and this is just as I've read it, I don't know that they understood grace. In fact, it'd be easy to say that there's a lot in the church that don't understand grace. What is grace? All I can say is I heard the other day, it is the opposite of behavioral modification. How many of us have tried to be good? How many of us have tried to do the right thing? How many of us have tried to succeed at being a believer? The moment we stepped into the equation and tried was the moment we were already ready to fail. You know what a believer is? I can't do it. But I believe you can. It's impossible. But you can do it in me. I hurt so bad. And my best efforts is to try to either run this way or this way or this way. Only you can change it. I have such a terrible mouth. God, you can change it. I have such awful addictions. God, you can change it. I can't. I can't. Who's hearing this today? So they repented when Apollos taught them, but they didn't. What did they uh, 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 repent to? We have got to repent to Jesus. Faith in Jesus, the finished work of Jesus. They believe. So, you know, the gospel, it's power, it's a mystery, it's a source of hope, of faith, of love, of life, and of peace. Praise be to God. So here's the thing, and I want you to, and I'm going to do about five more minutes. We are called to be living sacrifices. Paul even says to believers, you are living epistles. Your letters, your, your billboards will say. But the way that you become those things is by living the gospel. And what is the gospel? I can't. He can't. I tried. He did. I once was lost. Anybody ever seen that picture, I, I believe, from Le- uh, maybe Da Vinci, maybe Michelangelo, I'm not sure. It's the hand of man, man reaching up, and you see the hand of God reaching down. I struggle with that a little bit because I don't believe man had any strength whatsoever to raise his hand to God. I believe he was dead in spirit. And God Almighty had to reach all the way down and bring him life. That's the God I serve. Something that was dead is brought life. Are there any dead men and women that have been brought back to life? Hallelujah. Praise be to God. So see, so these men, they believed very quickly and they were set free. So then we jumped down and he to verse 8 and Paul started going to the synagogue and he spoke boldly there for three months. Three months he spoke there. And verse 9 says, But some of them became obstinate, and they refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. And I love what the next four words are. So Paul left them. 
Now, how many people in compassion ministry would be like, oh, but I just want to see them saved. I just, and I'll keep pursuing and I'll keep pushing. Here's the thing. I do not believe that our mission from Jesus Christ is try to cajole, beg, and drag people to the gospel. Our job as believers is to live the gospel. And so if we are living the gospel, we are allowing Holy Spirit power through us to minister to those around us. And if they do not receive, that's not my fault. You say, but that sounds uncaring. I am called to what? Live the gospel and declare it, what I'm living, whether through action or deed or word. And that's what Paul did. Three months in the synagogue, he declared truth. And when some of them rose up against him and were probably creating quite a church quarrel, what did he do? He left them. Then he went to a local theater or school or whatever you want to call it and started preaching there and he did it for two years. And what he did is he just began, isn't it interesting, more fruit took place outside the church than it did in the church. He went to this theater, this lecture hall of Tyrannus, and it says they went on for two years so that all the Jews, everybody say all, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Do you hear what I just said? He had to move out of the church in order to declare truth so that all the Jews and the Greeks would hear. Because oftentimes what happens in the church, we're, we're sought and caught up in our traditions. And caught up in what we think it should look like. So I love what happens in verse 11. It says, God did extraordinary miracles. Now, can I ask you guys a question? Isn't a miracle already extraordinary? So when you know that the, the Holy Spirit has Luke write down extraordinary miracles, whoo, there's some hardcore stuff going on. And it was. I, I find it interesting. It says in verse 12, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched Paul, why? Because of Paul? No, but because of the spirit that lived within him. Were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured. And the evil spirits left them. Come on, tell me the gospel's not a mystery. <laughs> but that's what happened. What happened in, in, also in Acts? When Peter would walk by in his shadow, people would walk in the, the shadow would touch him, people would be healed. Was that because of Peter's power? Absolutely not. That was Holy Spirit power. Peter and Paul were living the what? The gospel, they were finding out that they did not deserve what was going on in them, but that God Almighty, by His grace, had chosen to do something great in them and through them. I can't, God, but you can. Church, when is it we are going to get passionate enough about seeing lives transformed and changed around us? When is it we're going to see that but then realize we can't do a blame thing about it? But the Holy Spirit within us can. That's what He desires to do. So He did these extraordinary miracles. So then what we end up with is this. There were these residents, resident exorcists. They were Jewish exorcists. They spent a lot of time casting demons out. Now I'm going to tell you, so they thought. The demons are a tricky bunch. Uh, you think you've got them, but quite honestly, they got you. They're deceitful, and they will bring destruction. They make you think you have power, but in actuality, they really remind you over and over again how little and nothing you are. And to use you. 
And that's what these uh, exorcists, if you will, these non-Jew uh, or Jewish exorcists did. And they went around, and it says in verse 13, some Jews went around driving out evil spirits, tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus. Why would they suddenly start using Jesus' name? They're Jews. Why would they start invoking? Probably because they saw that the name of Jesus was doing what? Cleaning house. Verse 14, seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. I love this, this story. Verse 15, one day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know. Hey, this is the demon talking, folks. Jesus, I know. <laughs> and Paul, I know. <laughs> Who the heck are you? Who are you? Who are you to show up and tell me what to do? I heard one man preach before, but I'm going to ask you again. How many here want the demons to know who you are? I want the demons to know who I am. Because if they don't know who I am, I'm not very effective. And see, here's the thing. These seven sons of Sceva tried to walk around like they were authority. They had no authority. Why? Because they had no relationship with Jesus Christ. They were not living the gospel. They wanted to walk out authority, and they had none because of there was no relationship. Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Hey, I don't know about you, but there is no man that's going to willingly give up his underwear. So somebody took it. See, it's all about shame. It's all about making you feel absolutely nothing. That's what the demonic does. That's what it does. So they must have realized, these guys must have realized that the name of Jesus was effective, but they had no authority to use it. How many of us know that there are even people in church who are headed for hell because they know the Jesus that the preacher, they know about the Jesus that the preacher preaches, or know about the Jesus that their spouse knows, but they themselves don't know Jesus? So they walk in no authority, they do church, they do Bible study, they don't know Jesus, they don't have authority, they don't have life, they don't know grace, they're gone. We're called to live the gospel. And what's the gospel? His grace. I can't, he can. I couldn't, he did. Folks, do any of us have the right to use the name of Jesus? Why? Through, our, through knowing Him, our relationship with Him. Without a relationship, we don't have the authority. Folks, we have to live the gospel in order to carry that authority. See, here's the crazy part. Paul lived the gospel. And you're like, of course, he was the apostle Paul. God did amazing things for him. Folks, we are believers. We are the body of Christ. Each one of us has been handpicked by God to do something for Him. In Him and through Him. Every one of you, there is purpose for your life. But some are sin. Right, Abigail? Yes, amen. Amen. Paul lived the gospel and Ephesus got turned upside down. Why? Because he was preaching to everybody and telling them how they should live? No, he was living the gospel. And what he spoke, people saw. 
Now, how was he turning, the, uh, turning Ephesus upside down? Well, so many were believing, and many were just flat out getting mad. They didn't like what he had to say at all. But there were many that were believing. In verse 17, when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Paul didn't even have anything to do with it. It was because those seven sons got beat up by a, a demon-possessed man. Because he did, they didn't know Jesus. So suddenly we have all the Jews and the Greeks going, Holy cow, we must really need to know Jesus. And many of those who believed now came and openly confessed things they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery, witchcraft, brought their scrolls together, burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. And a drachma was basically a day's wage. So, you know, whatever a day's wage is now times 50,000. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. How did it grow in power? Because many began to live the gospel. And the power began to flow. And Ephesus was getting transformed and changed. Now, here's the thing. There are people that don't like it. And there was a particular man. One was named Demetrius. And he made these little idols. Because Ephesus was the cornerstone of the goddess Diana or Artemis, however you want to call it. And, and, and um, he made these, these, these little shrines and these little idols and he'd sell them to people. And they would get these and that's how he made money. But what was happening? Paul's living the gospel, declaring the gospel. People are getting set free and they no longer are interested in worshiping an idol. So what happened to the business? Now, isn't it interesting? This man in verse 26 says, And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. Well, I'm going to tell you what. Paul was not out having this anti-Diana campaign. He had better things to do. He was not marching the streets, picketing the political and religious stance at the moment. What he was doing was declaring truth and living the gospel. And it unnerved these guys. But here's the funny part. These guys could have cared less about their goddess, Diana. They were wrapped up with what? The money. It's power and money that many times talks. And so what we have here is Paul just living the gospel and people coming to Jesus and they're no longer interested in in worshiping Diana. And things are getting changed and suddenly this riot breaks out and praise be to God, the Lord set up the, uh, the city mayor, so to say, the clerk. And he's basically saying, look, there's really no charges you've got here. You better stop this. The Romans are going to come in here and they're going to knock us around if we don't chill. This is wrong. Because he could kind of see through. And the Lord raised this, this man up, this leader up, and it dispersed this, uh, this riot. But I, I tell you, folks, we have to understand something. Living the gospel is going to do two things. It's going to be a, a, an empty vessel for letting people be set, God use to, to, to set people free, transform lives. And it's also going to be used to tick people off. I've often heard it. The sun does, uh, what does the sun do to to wax? And what does the sun do to mud? Hardens it. So one of two things are going to happen. So if you're living the gospel, it's going to come at you from both ends. But praise be to God, who is in control? 
Who is our Redeemer and our Savior? Where is the power coming from? God Almighty. You know, when it comes to society, when it comes to culture, Charles Spurgeon, the famous preacher, said this, I have no faith in any reforms that don't come through the changing of men's hearts. So we can try and try and try to change people's minds and get them to do things differently, but I'm going to tell you what, unless a person's life is transformed and changed, that reform is only going to last that long. That change is only going to last that long. Because it's behavior modification. Folks, we're called to live the gospel in this world today. Even if it doesn't make sense. Even if it's hard. Even if it's a struggle, we're called to live the gospel. Every day. Why is that? Because God has come to bring us life here. And God has called us to life for eternity. I desire Him. How about you? Lord, we give you praise. We want to live the gospel. Live the gospel in today's world. We're thanking you for showing us how. And we're thanking you, Lord, for setting us free to do so. I pray if there's anyone here today that has no relationship with Jesus, you know about him. But if you have not made a relationship, uh, a commitment to Christ, knowing that he's made commitment to you, and you have not received who he is, what he's done, and what he wants to do, that you today would say, Jesus, I repent of my sin, but then as I repent of my sin, I repent to you and what you've done. With eyes lifted high, I look to you. Your mercy, your grace, your love. Thank you, Father. Now, Lord, continue to equip us. I'm praying right now for believers that we would not be distracted by what the world throws at us. The world does not know Jesus. Don't be distracted by their responses. Lord, we are called to live the gospel. We give you praise. We open ourselves to you. Thank you that we can't, but you can. We failed, you succeeded. We couldn't, you did. We were dead, you made us alive. Thank you for your gospel of grace. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for the love, the joy. Thank you. In Jesus' name. God, you're good, and we praise you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Let's just stand, and we're going to just sing praise God one more time. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, praise God. 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 I'm going to ask if you're staying, members stay here for the business meeting. Just go and take a seat. The rest of you have a wonderful week.